0: Join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about environmental health destroyers. This is part one of a two part series. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice. So don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven that is a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve.
1: Good evening, Ron.
0: You're recording tonight from a remote location because of an environmental hazard. You wanna tell people what happened or do you prefer not to?
1: Yeah, it goes back to a couple episodes ago on smoke again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The second smoke incident in my house, this one was way worse.
0: Um, So you didn't boil some eggs and leave them on the stove this time.
1: No, I did not. I was actually doing things I was supposed to be doing, and that was uh, cooking dinner and uh, washing washing laundry. And all of a sudden, the lights started to flicker, like I was in a haunted house at Disney World or something. And uh, it was pretty scary because then I started to hear things pop, and I smelled something burning. And I had a couple of outlets, uh, a little, uh, those like um, backup battery backup outlet things, and what's that thing that you plug all the outlets in, one of those little bars? You know what I'm talking about? Surge protector. Yeah. And one in the bedroom blew and you could see it was hot it was burnt. And then one of the ones under my computer desk, there was like a burn mark on the floor and it looked like the whole thing would turn black. And so then I called up an electrician friend of mine. She came over, started messing with the box because some of the fuses blew. And then all of a sudden in the garage, I smelled something and it was the battery charger from my Marine battery. And I smelled that and that was burnt. And as she was uh, checking other things, the garage door opener, the light bulb and all that just kind of went pop. And she said, oh, yeah, oh, we're, we're just going to turn everything off now. <laughs> so we killed the whole switch and had to get everything out of the house uh luckily nothing caught on fire and the electric company is going to come by they were supposed to come by today but hopefully tomorrow they'll come by and assess because my other electrician feels that it's something on their end it caused like a whole surge through the house so yeah that was a close call but thank goodness nobody uh nobody got hurt no smoke inhalation didn't happen luckily during time when my dog on was there by herself Yep. so Yeah, disaster averted, but man, it was a little scary there for a while.
0: Yes, it sounds like it was. You had that and then you had a hurricane going through or nearby in the past week or two also. So it's been an exciting month. Yeah, I know. All right, so you know that's an environmental, those are both kind of environmental situations and that kind of ties into what we're talking about today, which has to do with environmental health destroyers. So this is going to be a two-part episode this week and next week, and we're going to start this week with molds. And I wanted to find out first if all molds are toxic, and why is black mold such a big concern for people?
1: Okay, well, that's a good question. Um, and to answer these questions, really, let's start out by looking at the three main categories of molds, which, by the way, molds are a type of fungus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the first one, they're called allergenic molds, which can aggravate mild allergies, but they're unlikely to cause illness. You know, these can be found on many surfaces and locations in the environment, as well as on food, and they can become airborne, leading to allergies, especially affecting the sinuses, lungs, and skin. Uh, The next category is pathogenic molds, which can cause infections in people, even if they're in good health. It's more prevalent in people that are immune-compromised, but it can also affect people that are actually are in good health. Okay. And then the third one is called toxigenic molds. They're also known as toxic molds because they're toxic to all people and animals that come in contact with them since they produce toxic byproducts called mycotoxins. All right. And one of these toxic molds is called strachoboetris chartarum, but is more commonly known as Black mold. Okay. And black mold is is a big concern because it can grow inside homes, uh, schools, and the workplace undetected for years, and it can increase the risk of health problems such as asthma, allergies, and depression. Uh, in, In addition, a 1999 Mayo Clinic study found that nearly all chronic sinus infections. Which affect 37 million Americans and are often mistaken for the common cold and are typically handled with antibiotics, are actually caused by mold exposure. Yeah. Mm. Nearly all of them are, are caused by mold exposure. That that's something I didn't know about.
0: Yeah, now you do. All right. Um, one of the reasons that I know about this topic to some extent is in dealing with real estate. That's one of the things that you want to look for when you're doing inspections of homes and condos and places like that. There was one instance in all the years that I've been doing it where we had a situation come up and there was two women who were nurses and there was I can't remember what it was that came up that they were concerned. They were either just concerned about mold or there was something that came up on the inspection where they wanted to get testing. And the way that the testing is done is they come out and they take air samples. They take air samples inside of the property and then air samples outside of the property and send them to a laboratory. And then the lab will give you a list of different fungi and and bacteria, mold, whatever it is that's on their list that they send out and what levels they're at. And in this particular case, there were certain levels of toxic molds that were above what the normal levels are. And so it was, I believe it was in a shower and there was water that had gotten behind the wall of the shower, uh, possibly because some of the caulking between the tiles was cracked or was missing, which is a very common thing. And mold needs a couple things to grow. One of them is water or moisture. And the other thing is something to feed them, and and the back of drywall is one of those places where that can commonly occur. And I think that there was another, another place in this condo in the front closet where they had the air handler, and there was some dripping that was going on there, so there was a constant moisture there that was causing that situation to occur and so you've got the health issue but then there's how do you determine if that's a a situation in your house and really the only way that i know of is getting this type of lab testing done of air samples
1: okay
0: now i went into some of this in my description but what are the conditions in the environment that are necessary for mold to grow especially black mold
1: Well, first of all, you know, there's actually more than 100,000 types of mold that are found both indoors and outdoors. And at least a thousand mold species are commonly found in the United States. I just wanted to start off with that. It's a lot. It is. So yeah, they prefer a warm, moist, uh, and dark environment. Uh, So indoor common locations include uh, under the kitchen and bathroom sinks, uh, in showers, and in basements and attics. Other common moist locations include leaky roofs, windows or pipes, as well as places where there's been flooding, including carpeting and drywall. Molds also grow well on paper products, uh, as well as cardboard, ceiling tiles, and wood products. And they can also grow in dust, paints, wallpaper, insulation, fabric, and upholstery. Uh, mold is also shown up in a variety of pharmaceutical products that were not adequately sterilized after preparation.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And of course, as you know, Florida is especially notorious for mold growth due to high humidity levels.
0: Exactly. Okay. Now, if somebody has mold exposure, what kind of symptoms or health conditions might show up?
1: Well, you know, first of all, it depends on the individual because many people can be exposed to molds, but not everyone is affected the same or even at all. Okay. Um, I mean, some people are just very sensitive to them and can end up with symptoms such as uh, stuffy nose, wheezing, uh, red or itchy eyes, or skin. And others can even have more intense reactions, especially if they have allergies to molds or if they have asthma. Black mold has been found to cause nausea fatigue, sinus infections, or trouble breathing. And some recent studies have shown a potential link of early mold exposure to the development of asthma in some children, uh, especially, you know, among children who may be genetically susceptible to asthma development. Uh, Molds also produce what are called volatile organic compounds, which can affect the central nervous system and cause headaches, dizziness, uh, difficulty concentrating, and decreased attention span. And, you know, in just a bit, I'll go over some of the problems with mycotoxins, which are another nasty byproduct of molds.
0: Yeah. And I know someone who is a friend who had lived in a house and there had been some flooding. The landlord was not very good about taking care of it. And they ended up having mold. And this person developed certain skin type issues that were just kind of bizarre, couldn't figure out what it was and then i said it's probably related to the mold and once that got cleared up then the condition cleared up too yes so they can cause really weird type of symptoms and what can be done if somebody's been exposed to mold and is having symptoms like that or the ones that you mentioned
1: well i mean first of all logically you have to find out what the source or sources of the mold are and remedy it before you even think about handling or correcting it with nutrition or medicine or anything like that. Because if you, you know, you're being bombarded by it on a regular basis, then you'll be wasting your time trying to treat your body therapeutically. Right. I mean, I know some people have had to move from where they lived or they actually sold their car because the mold situation was so bad that it couldn't be corrected. And, you know, one company in Clearwater, as well as in other locations around the country, that I recommend for mold detection and remediation is Mold Zero. And I spoke about them in our podcast covering allergies, which was episode number 39. Uh, So, you know, if you think you have a mold problem where you live or where you work or your car, uh, you can find out more about them at moldzero.com or you can call them at 844-665-3937. Now, you know, as far as what you can do yourself, there's four main things that you can do to control mold growth in your indoor environment. Uh, The first is to control the humidity levels by keeping them as low as you can. And it's preferred to keep it between 30 and 50 percent pretty much all day long. And, you know, this can be done using an air conditioner or a dehumidifier. In Florida, you should especially do this during the more humid summer months when we have all the rain and so forth.
0: Yeah. And people who buy condos or houses in Florida that aren't down there all year round, I know when I would work with them, it would always be, you need to leave your air conditioner on. You can set it for 80 degrees, that's totally fine. But when it's hot and you've got a lot of humidity, if you don't keep that running, it will create problems inside the house.
1: Absolutely. Second thing would be to fix any leaks in the roof, windows, or plumbing right away so that mold doesn't have any moisture to grow and spread. Third would be make sure you thoroughly clean and dry all areas after a flood. Uh, You know, you may need an outside company to do this correctly. And, you know, you should definitely consider not using carpets in rooms or areas like bathrooms or basements that may have a lot of moisture. I mean, even just one day, like, you know, that little mat that you put out, you know, when you go out of the shower might be enough to allow mold to grow. And so, you know, you may have to just every day just throw it in a wash machine to prevent that. Mm -hmm of course, you definitely want to ventilate your shower, laundry room, and cooking areas using exhaust fans, um, you know, that vent outside from the kitchen and bathroom. And, you know, make sure your clothes dryer vents outside your home with that flexible tube that goes through the wall. Yep. Now, since mold can get into the gastrointestinal tract and colonize, an individual that has this needs to take antifungal remedies and, of course, probiotics. And You know, you can accomplish this also with specific foods as well as supplements, or in more severe cases, you may need to take antifungal medications. Now, one of the things that can help someone who has developed symptoms to mold exposure is to become desensitized to mold through the technique that uh, I've described in several past podcasts, including uh, podcast number 39 on allergies, and that's NAET, or Nambudrapod Allergy Elimination Technique which I'm trained in a a modified version of. And, you know, mold is one of the primary allergens that can be tested and desensitized with this technique. And I've found this to be true in, you know, quite a few patients of mine through the years. And almost all of them responded very well and very quickly. You know, there are a number of supplements that are on the market to help with mold exposure and resulting symptoms. You know, some may be good for minor cases, but the more severe and difficult cases should be handled by doctors that um, have environmental medicine training, preferably nutrition-based. So in our area in Clearwater, one of the clinics that specializes in this is LifeWorks Medical Center, or LifeWorks Wellness Center, and they can be found at lifeworkswellnesscenter.com.
0: Okay. Now you mentioned something earlier having to do with mycotoxins. So, what are they and why are they a health concern?
1: Well, you know, they're again, uh, they're uh, naturally occurring toxic byproducts that are produced by molds and are especially found in food, which is a big reason why they're a really big health concern. So, they grow on a variety of different crops and foods, including cereals, nuts, uh, spices, dried fruit apples, and coffee beans under, you know, warm, damp, and humid conditions. They basically appear in the food chain as a result of mold infection of crops primarily before and after harvest, and as well as during storage. And exposure to mycotoxins can happen either directly by eating infected food or indirectly from animals that are fed contaminated feed, in particular from milk. Mm. So because of this, mycotoxins can cause a variety of adverse health effects and pose a serious health threat, not only to humans, but also to livestock. I mean, adverse effects of mycotoxins range from acute poisoning to long-term effects such as immune deficiency and cancer. Mm. Remember I said that mold is a type of fungus? Yeah. Well, another type of fungus is mushrooms, and it just so happens that some mycotoxins are also produced by poisonous mushrooms. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Well, I guess it's a good thing that I only drink almond milk, so I'm never at risk.
1: There you go.
0: Uh, What are the most common symptoms that people could see if they've been exposed to mycotoxins?
1: Well, I mean, there's a number of reported symptoms and conditions, but the most common are chronic fatigue, ADHD, rashes. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and depression. No. Wow. I mean, you know, in, in one study of patients with chronic fatigue, they found that all the patients had high levels of mycotoxins in their urine samples. I, I was like, "Wow, that's another thing that I need to consider when I have patients with chronic fatigue." Is maybe go down that road? Yeah, definitely. Also, virtually every neurological disease has been associated with mycotoxin exposure, including autism. Alzheimer's disease, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, multiple sclerosis, and Parkinson's disease. Really? Yeah. That's
0: an interesting connection.
1: I know. And there also happens to be a strong association between mycotoxin exposure and cancers, particularly liver and kidney cancers. Okay. Uh, In addition, mycotoxins can increase one's susceptibility to infections by weakening the immune system plus worsen the effect of other toxins that are present in the body, as well as it help advance other health conditions that are already there too. So they kind of really mess up everything. They, they mess up your immune system and they make other conditions worse.
0: Wow. All right. So then with all that stuff going on, if somebody has been exposed to mycotoxins and they're having some of these things going on, what can be done to treat that so that they can get rid of those symptoms or they can heal the body and the damage that's been caused.
1: Well, you know, I went over, you know, basically some stuff earlier on mold treatment. It's basically the same as mold treatment in general, but let's elaborate on that a little bit more. Okay. So there's a medication that's shown promise that has been recommended for mycotoxin exposure and toxicity, and it's called Ultipraz. And the reason for that is because it helps to increase the effects of the liver antioxidant glutathione in handling the toxins and free radicals produced. Okay. So as a result, you get reduced liver toxicity and the safer elimination of these chemicals in the body. Hmm. Now, what I like is eating carrots, parsnips, celery, and parsley may reduce the carcinogenic effects of mold.
0: Interesting.
1: I eat all of those on a regular basis, so I'm pretty happy about that fact.
0: That's true, and most of them are in your soup.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, also, supplementing with chlorophyllin, uh, zinc, vitamins A, E, and C, N acetylcysteine, uh, rosmarinic acid, and a form of glutathione called liposomal glutathione, uh, either taken alone or in combination. Uh, they've shown to reduce the oxidative effects of mold toxins and the absorption of mold found in food has been found to be successfully reduced by supplementing with bentonite clay and zeolite clay. Hmm. And our old favorite of ours, activated charcoal yeah. is also very effective, very effective at binding most mycotoxins in the body.
0: All right. Well, that's why it's an, another reason why it's good to have it on hand. Absolutely. All right. Good. Now, is there anything else you want to say on mycotoxins or molds before we end this topic?
1: No, but I'm really excited about you know the fact that it's associated with two things that I never really thought to look at, and that was sinus infections and chronic fatigue. So when I have patients coming in with those things, I'm going to add that to my little correction list to check into and. Um, and just educate everybody on you know this fact that they may be living in an environment that may be underlying their health and, and these particular types of health conditions so that they can look into a future because some of these are very difficult to treat. And when you're not getting the result, it could be something simple as you know their, their home environment, not being aware that that's really the primary cause of these things.
0: Yeah. And the test, the home test, Like I said, that I had done for my clients, I think when I did that, it was maybe a few hundred dollars. So Mm -hmm. it's not too cost prohibitive, and it sounds like you can determine if somebody's got mycotoxins through a urine sample. Yes. Okay, and that's very easy and very inexpensive to do too.
1: Sure. Yeah, I've seen there are. If you Google, you'll find some companies that do this. You just have to look for, you know, mycotoxin or mold and they're, you know, they're probably anywhere from a hundred to $300.
0: Okay. All right, good. So next week, we're going to continue with this topic of environmental dangers or health destroyers, I should say. Uh, Your electric fire is more of an environmental danger than an environmental health destroyer. So we're going to get Continuing on the topic, we'll find out more about what happened when the electric company comes out in the next day or so. And so we'll get an update on that and we'll continue with things like asbestos and lead, which is not that uncommon. People will be very surprised where you can find these things that you wouldn't expect to find them. So thanks for braving the fires and shocks and all those things that were potentially around and getting your research done and doing the episode this week. And next week, hopefully will go a lot better for you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the body chat podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.